This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Nor as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. How you doing, John? I am doing so well, Hank. I Mostly for reasons that we can't talk about until the end of the podcast. Oh. Um, I, I, oh, I, I have I to confess that I am a little bit limping to, to the finish line of 2017. It has been a, <laughs> uh, a pretty long year for me. Uh-huh. Uh, I published my first book in six years. It w- that was pretty stressful, exciting, but stressful. Uh, lots of things have been happening, movie stuff, like just a lot of, lot of and I had labyrinthitis, which I don't mm-hmm. recommend despite its metaphorically resonant name. It's just been, the last couple months have been a little intense. So I am, um, I am, just trying to just trying to get to the end and move on to 2018. How are you? I'm good. I uh, I just have a baby and it's so good. I yeah. I, I also really really want to see the Star Wars movie. I want to see. Oh it, yeah. But I can't because like how do, do parents ever watch movies? How does it you, ever you get happen? a babysitter? Get a babysitter. I get, I guess, but I feel like if I'm getting a babysitter, I should be like doing something where Catherine and I hang out, not just stare no. at something together. No, it's ridiculous. No, okay. go see the Star Wars movie. It's a lovely. I still, I still love a good movie as a date night. I think movies continue to be a great date night. You know what movie is going to be a great date night, Hank? What movie? Turtles All the Way Down, oh, coming to a theater near you. Oh goodness. I uh, okay, John. Who do you want to babysit my baby while I go watch the Star Wars movie? Yeah, that's a good idea. I want to spend 12 hours flying to Missoula so I can spend three hours with my nephew. No, I don't. (laughs) You want a short poem? Okay. All right. Uh, This short poem was sent in by Heather. It's very good, and it's about death. So uh, thank you, uh, Heather, 
for um, sharing a poem about death. I appreciate it. It's by Moria Sen- Senyan, whose name I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, and it is translated from Japanese. Bury me when I die beneath a wine barrel in a tavern. With luck, the cask will leak. Mm. It's good, Hank. It's good. Mm. I would love to have just a few glasses of wine after my death, but uh, I I feel that the odds are against me. John, our first question of Dear Hank and John comes from Uh Tin, who asks, Dear Hank and John, ah, help, I have a final on birds in less than two hours. I have to memorize all the birds, orders, family, and species of California, and in two hours, I have to put all that knowledge to a test. Please help. Please send help. With the atomic number of 50, tin. Like tin. Yeah, no, T-I-N. It does have the atomic number of 50. Hank, do you know where uh, the elements get their atomic numbers from? I thought this was just a fascinating fact. Uh, yes. Where do they get their numbers from? The number of protons they have? Uh, see, I always thought it was from just a dartboard that like chemists would throw <laughs> a dart at a dartboard and they'd be like, 50, 10. But no, it turns out it's the number of protons they have. Well, I mean, there's, so, there's a certain amount of logic to just like, oh, well, this is the lightest one and so it's number one. And this is the second lightest one, so it's number two. And we'll just order them by, by weight. And, uh, yeah. and that is how they are ordered. But it just happens that's, that's sort of uh, also a consequence of the fact that protons are where... Uh, a lot of the mass of an atom comes from, and as you increase protons, you also increase neutrons, which is the other place that the mass of the atom comes from. But that is neither here nor there, John. That's chemistry, and we have a problem with regards to bird taxonomy, apparently. Uh, Yeah, it's a little weird to me. Taxonomy, bird taxonomy feels a little bit dated as a thing that you should have to memorize. Uh, To me, maybe Tin is writing from the distant past, like 1964. Yeah, I, like what is what is gonna help you by how are you going to be assisted by knowing all of the order, family, and species of all birds in California? That is a huge like I got like California's a big and diverse place. It's got yeah. mountains, it's got ocean, it's got like cold, it's got hot, it's got like Yosemite, and it's got all of the things. It's Hank, got, would you like to take a guess how many bird species there are in California? I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with 500. 600. That, I was remarkably close. Actually, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have been within an order of magnitude. I would have said 12. <laughs> I thought we'd eliminated most of the non-human species, but apparently a few of them are still going strong. Um, you know what the official state bird of California is? I bet Tin does. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the herring gull, John. It's the herring gull. No, it's the condor. The California condor. It must be. Nope. It's the California quail. That's terrible. The ca- you got to look at a picture of a California quail, Hank. They've got one of those uh, headdresses that makes them look a little bit like Napoleon. They look like bird Napoleon. Uh, I can't look spell. At- and so I've just Googled the California quail. <laughs> Well, the California quail also is excellent, but the California quail, I mean, to be fair, the condor is a wonderful bird, very majestic, but I have never seen a bird that is so clearly suited to official statedom as the California quail. I mean, the California quail might be the next governor of California. The California quail looks as if it is tipping its hat to you all of the time. It does. It's a, hello, sir. Hello, sir. Um, hello, ma'am. Hello, madam. 
Hello. Uh, so, Tin, this is a dumb assignment, and we disagree with it. That is our <laughs> that is our take. We do not like this as an assignment. We think you should be learning about why Tin's atomic number is fifty, uh, not about all of the genuses and species and orders of birds in California. Yeah, but uh, I do want to say, Hank, yeah. I uh, I have a buddy who is an ornithologist. Hmm. I, that's just something I wanted to say because I, I very rarely find myself in a situation where I get to talk about my friend who's an ornithologist. Oh well, um, yeah, maybe we should talk to him about why 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 not this is important. Though I could probably talk real quick with my uh, my friend who's a professor of turtle studies and ask the, him what he thinks about this. If you'd be interested <laughs> oh, in that, I do. I do. I, all right, is Doctor Turtleman available? Hey, Doctor Turtleman. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, we've got, so we've got somebody who needs to learn a bunch of species and orders and families of, of, of birds in California. Is that, oh, that's, oh, come on. Really? They're still doing that? That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I mean, what what, what you gotta know, it's not, it's not like, uh, all of the different species and genus, it's, it's that these things are related and how they're related. Understanding the connection between organisms is much more valuable than understand, like, being able to name the genus and order and family and species of all the birds of California. Come on, teachers! There you go, Dr. Turtleman, everybody. (laughs) Uh, just when I thought he'd retired. (laughs) (laughs) Our next question comes from Talia, or possibly Talia, who asks, Dear John and Hank, two weeks ago I got very sick and I ended up in the hospital. I'm very sorry to hear about that, Talia. I'm a college student and now I'm left with a bill I can't afford. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. This is even after the hospital cut my bill by more than 50%. Right, but it was it was cut by more than 50% from like tens of thousands of dollars. Whereas if you'd gotten sick anywhere else in the world, I assume that you're American, Talia, because this isn't a problem for college students, usually outside of America, although it is occasionally. Um, uh, Oh, God. Anyway, what do you do when you can't pay for something that you have to pay for, Talia? Um, I mean, usually you sign up for a payment plan, John. Sorry, I was just opening a Diet Dr. Pepper. I don't know if you heard that, but that's the sound of uh, me feeling despondent. Um, <laughs> that's only, yeah, only, I mean, only one real response, which is go get yourself a six-pack of crisp Diet Dr. Pepper. Not yet yeah. a sponsor of this podcast. It'll solve all your problems, Talia. No, yeah, I mean, usually you get in touch with the hospital and you see if you can work out a payment plan over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, another option in some cases is to file for bankruptcy. If you don't have a lot of assets, it may make sense to file for bankruptcy, although that comes with its own set of problems. Um, I'm, I just wanted to read this question mostly because I want to make the point that I believe very strongly that it is really bad for our economy and for our social order to even have the possibility that a college student can be left with a bill that they cannot afford. It is bad. It is bad economically. It is bad policy. It is bad social policy. It makes our lives as Americans worse, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, and it is. It, it kind of makes living in this country a little bit of a gamble. And I, mean, I know that like all life is a gamble and that things are bad things are going to happen, but... Um, but Eliminating those uncertainties are, is such a valuable thing for, you know, mental health, but also the economy, like allowing people right. to take the risks 
uh, to do interesting things and to uh, you know try to make their own business that may end up then having its own employees. Um, and I, I, it feels very strange to uh, you know sometimes know that I have to compete with companies that don't have to pay for their employees' health insurance. And it's just like, huh, that must be easier in a lot of ways for you to not have to deal with that. Right. But also, it's in the best interest of our country and our economy to have Talia focusing on her studies so that she can become a better educated person and, you know, be productive in not just the labor market, but also in bringing new and interesting ideas into the world instead of having to stress out about paying her medical bills. It should not be a thing that exists. And we know that it doesn't have to exist because in a lot of the world, it doesn't. This next question comes from Lena, who asks, Dear Hank and John, how do you eat trail mix? Am I supposed to stuff my face with a handful of it at all at once, or do I eat each piece one by one? Nuts and pretzels, Lena, are you... What? 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 It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you fill your whole hand up, Lena, and then you put that whole handful in your mouth. And that's the whole great thing about trail mix is that you get all the different flavors all at once. You get the little slight sweetness of the raisins and the crunchy uh, salty of the nuts, but you also get the crunchy, very sweet of the peanut peanuts, peanut butter, peanut m and What am I happening? Of the M and M's, I I have to say, Hank, um, uh, I, I feel like there've been a few occasions. Most of them have probably been cut out of the podcast by Nick, but I think there've been a few occasions today where something went wrong with your circuitry, and you just like <laughs> it's almost like you had to like reboot. Um, it was a, it's been a very long week. It continues to be, and I meant to eat a balance bar sometime in the last four hours, and I just haven't. Yeah, that also contributes to my having to reboot periodically. I, this is what I want to say to Lena. Lena, when I first started dating the woman who is now my wife, I remember mm-hmm. we went out to see a movie. It was called Lost in Translation. And we sat next to each other, as you do when you're on a first date, um, or usually. <laughs> and we sat next <laughs> to each other, and I uh, had ordered a large popcorn because that's what I like to eat at the movies. And uh, and Sarah asked if she could have a, some of my popcorn. And I said, yeah, of course, not because I actually think it's okay for someone to take part of my large popcorn, because I strongly, strongly dislike it when someone takes any of my large popcorn, but because, you know, it was a first date, I was trying to impress her. Um, but I these mean, days, if anybody asks me so- if they can have a part of my large popcorn, no, get your own popcorn. <laughs> I didn't order this for you. This is my popcorn. And yes, it comes with a free refill, but that's my free refill. Anyway, back to my story. So Sarah reaches over into the popcorn bucket and pulls out a single piece of popcorn and then puts a single piece of popcorn in her mouth. And Hank, I could not have been more surprised <laughs> if she had grown a second head. Uh, it's good. It's like putting water in your cereal. It's so weird. I'm, <laughs> that's not fair. When I see someone eat a single piece, like when I finish a large popcorn, like, and I stand up at the end of the movie, it looks like there's been a massacre. <laughs> it looks like, it looks like the, there was the Spartan popcorns versus yes. the Persian popcorns and they had yes. a whole like there was a there was a chicane uh yes pass there the, are a million mountains. dead was, yes yeah um and I, I I know that that's terrible um I I do yeah. always throw away my my uh 
all, all my stuff. I, I know that like it makes it hard for movie theater employees, but I cannot. I eat popcorn a handful at a time. I eat uh, trail mix a handful at a time. I, of course, you want as much food in your mouth as possible at any given moment. John, did she then later take a second piece of popcorn, or did she just go Correct. One? Okay. So it no. wasn't like, I will have this one, thank you very much. And then she was like, I felt the wave of animosity coming off of this man who no. I thought it would no. be okay for me to ask the his popcorn, but clearly it wasn't. No, not at all. No, it was just, uh, it was a pure, like, she still, like, she still, she'll get a popcorn when we go to the movies, and she'll eat it one piece at a time. Like, I, I mean... It, it's like, what? Do you want to know the best popcorn related thing that ever happened to me? So I once went to, so I once went to the movies with one of our cousins, and he got a popcorn and a and a, a box of M and M's, and we sat down, and this was the coolest thing that had ever happened to me. I was like, I was probably like 15 years old, and he's like older than us, and uh, he got set down his popcorn, opened up his M and M's, and just poured the M and M's into the popcorn. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a miracle. Oh, so cool. I was like, it yeah. is a miracle. Oh my god, and it's so good. It's so, so good. good. It's like making your own trail mix. Uh, it really b- is. Except it's way like, worse for you. Ah, uh, I mean, I don't know about that. It's just the thing about trail mix is that ostensibly you're eating it while walking. Right. Whereas with the popcorn M M&M and M combo, you're eating it while reclining. <laughs> yeah. Trail mix has like the like like if popcorn and M and M's was uh was was like sort of a normal trail food, then it would be fine because the point of trail mix is that there's a lot of food in it and it's easy right. to eat. Uh, right. Whereas the point of the point of popcorn M and M's is not the like it's not like you need a lot of fuel for this three-hour movie-going experience. All right, Hank. Our next question comes from Hannah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my sister's python escaped several days ago, and she just fed it, so it's not even hungry. Um, uh, well, well, okay. Okay. Um, mm, it's okay. I, would, I, well, it's I think I probably hungry. prefer a not-hungry python, all right. things being equal. Yeah, so it's not even hungry. So I we, feel like I, it's good news that it's not hungry. It's such a bummer. We don't have a hungry escaped snake in the house. Yeah, if only we, if only the python was hungry, then um, it would reveal itself while strangling one of us to death. <laughs> I'm coming home from the Christ, for Christmas break very soon, and my room hasn't had anyone wait, in it for how weeks. How very soon? Uh, wait, weeks? Okay, wait, okay. The pythons. How much do python eat? Do they eat like once every six months? Um. How often do <laughs> pythons eat? Um, ten to fourteen days. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So All right. It's not so, hungry. uh, my room is the perfect quiet place for it to hide out. How am I going to sleep at night? How do I prevent it slithering next to me for heat? Oh uh, God. Is that okay? If that's the main concern, like I'm fi- like I, like if it's just cuddle time. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for snake cuddle time. I don't. But oh, I don't no. want to like wake up with it no, on my no, no, thumb. No, 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 no. I do not want to wake up out of a deep sleep to learn that there is a snake cuddled next to me. Uh, Hard stop. I mean, okay. All right. I agree. I just think that it's not the worst possible outcome. Uh. Well, I mean, I guess it's not the worst possible outcome because the worst possible outcome is always death. But like, it's a very <laughs> bad outcome. Hannah, there's an obvious solution here, which is that this is not your Python. This is not your problem, and this was not your mistake. So you come home for the Christmas holidays, and the first words out of your mouth are, Hello, sister, I will be sleeping in your room. 
until or, the python is recovered. Yeah, what I need from you, what I need from you is when I arrive home, all of my furniture is out of the room. There is nothing, nothing in the room. And so I can see it's python freeness. Just right. complete lack of pythonity. And then yes. I can move all of the furniture back in. Uh, One at a time, each, you reintroduce yep. things into your room. Yes. I, Hank, I think we've solved the problem. Unfortunately, uh, Hannah's already home in real life. And so uh, she's probably Cuddling. already been strangled to death by her sister's python. Sorry about that, Hannah. Wish we'd gotten to your question earlier. But, uh, you know, so it goes. Hey, it's okay. It's okay to have a cuddle. I just don't like I've I've met people who've gotten constrictors slatched on their hands before and it sounds like it's real not good uh, oh my god uh, this next question comes from Annika who asks dear Hank and John I have a dilemma I want to try to get information on current events from a variety of sources I currently use BBC and The Economist for my main news sources making you more better at this than literally everyone however in a recent conversation with a friend she pointed out that both of those sources are fairly liberal I would like to use moderate and more conservative sources as well in hopes to get a fuller picture of The Economist as liberal. In what world is The Economist, which I I believe uh, endorsed both Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush, a liberal magazine? I don't know. That's so weird. Like, The Economist was in favor of American intervention into Vietnam and into Iraq. Uh, the Economist is an extraordinarily, in my opinion, uh, moderate news source. Like I, I think they, um, I think they endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016. But dot dot dot. <laughs> uh, I, I think the Economist is a very very middle of the road news source, and it would only be considered like a liberal rag. In, in my mind, I, also, yeah. it doesn't really fall along the lines of like totally along the lines of contemporary liberal conservative bias yeah, because which, its yeah. bias is, is pretty strongly toward free markets, which it used to be a conservative thing and now se- seems to be a thing that doesn't neatly fall on a liberal or conservative mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like you're doing okay. Yeah, Annika's problem is that the only conservative news sh- news source she knows about is Fox News, and I have some problems with them. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I would recommend, if you're looking for a conservative news source that isn't like Fox News, that isn't kind of aggressively partisan and always constantly trying to frame every news story around um you know, a, a left-right axis, I would read the Wall Street Journal. I think the Wall Street Journal is a pretty consistently conservative paper, at least in its editorial column. And it's pretty, in general, not always, but in general, you know, well-reported stories. So that's what I read. But I think you're doing okay with the BBC and The Economist. You're doing better than most of us. I mean, most of us, and I'm not, and I'm guilty of this as much as anyone, do nothing but read like the the opinion pages at uh, blah, blah, blah dot com slash opinion. Yeah, I mean, most, to be very honest, most of what I read is the headlines on Twitter. So that's not... <laughs> oh, God. I'm one of them. Oh, God. Uh, which is but also then the great thing is you retweet the headline on Twitter because it's enraging. Yeah. Well, I do I do try to read a little bit of the article if I'm going to retweet it first. But, uh, but I will say that there have been studies done that we tend not to do that as, 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 uh, as a rule. So probably I do that as well. 
Yeah, I mean, in in limping to the finish line of 2017, Hank, I have to tell you that part of what I'm thinking about is what my 2018 is going to look like in terms of my relationship to the social internet. Because just, um, I, mm, sorry, I had another hard reset there. I, uh, I, I have such mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hard one for me. I love the dopamine rush of the social internet, and also it's a big part of my professional life. But at the same time, I think it might be really bad for my brain. Yeah, um, I think that it is. It, it may be, and it is very hard to use it in a constructive way. Um, I'm trying to do that more by asking myself how Mister Rogers would tweet, and uh, and that is is rewarding to some extent but all right okay but i want to read some of your recent tweets to you just real quick <laughs> if i may um just from the last you know what hey let's not just the last 24 hours okay all right i'm gonna check out what i've what i've said okay um can anyone build a web page very quickly that auto updates from the indiegogo <laughs> api the person who donated the most recently and what perk they got like by friday that doesn't seem like something mr rogers would have tweeted like i don't think mr rogers had access to any of those ideas um well i mean maybe if mr rogers was running a charity campaign he needed somebody to help him out real quick let's go a little bit further back because hank has tweeted a lot in the last 24 hours which also i would submit is not something mr rogers would have done um <laughs> Uh, it's not, it's not surprising that Moore hasn't conceded his campaign was based on the idea that he is the only credible institution in the country. What? <laughs> That's not something Mr. Rogers oh. would have tweeted. People in power pushing the fake news narrative have nothing to lose from continuing to question every institution outside themselves. Again, I'm not convinced Mr. Rogers yeah. would have tweeted that. No. Let's go back, let's go back I, to 20 hours ago. I agree. That was, that was the one I knew you were going to pick, too. I was like, when I tweeted it, I was like, Mr. Rogers wouldn't tweet this, but then I did it anyway. Okay, earlier, yesterday, you tweeted... <laughs> Um, okay, Hank, here's another example of a, of a tweet that you tweeted very recently that I don't think Mr. Rogers would have tweeted. Uh, quote, my mom just now. So, very long pause, what is a furry? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I feel like maybe Mr. Rogers wouldn't have tweeted that. But he might have tweeted the update tweet, which was, update, my mom is excited that furries are living their best lives and hopes that the pressures of the world aren't getting to them too much. Hank, I do not know of a Twitter feed. I mean, actually, I do. I was going to say I don't know of a Twitter feed that less resembles what Mr. Oh. Rogers' tweets would look like. <laughs> but of course I do. I know of a couple. Um, yeah, mo most of them. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, so my, my argument would be that I think Mr. Rogers might not be tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> if, he was, if he was around in this particular timeline at this particular moment, he'd be like, eh, I think I'm not going to engage in that way. Yeah, because like I, I think engaging in that way kind of comes with tweets that Mr. Rogers wouldn't tweet. Let's 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 move on to another question. This one comes from Abigail, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, after a recruiter came to my school, I've seriously considered going into the U.S. Navy. Many people have told me that I can't do it because I'm only five feet tall and I've never really worked out a day in my life. But I'm very <laughs> determined to succeed in this endeavor." I've started running and doing sit-ups and push-ups. My mom isn't fond of this idea, as most mothers wouldn't be. She would rather me do two years of community college and then decide from there. I'm 18, so I could usurp her and enlist on my own, but I really want her approval on this life choice because, you know, it's a big one. Any dubious advice is greatly appreciated. Not the root beer, 
Abigail Whitcomb. That's a uh, that's A and W ah, for those of you mm, paying attention uh-huh. at home. Mm-hmm. Um, Hank, this is exciting because we get to decide if somebody goes into the Navy. <laughs> well, if anybody should be given that power, it should be me. First of all, I'll say that I don't know that there are physical requirements that you, uh, like that they won't take a person under a certain height. Uh, a lot of what is done in the Navy is work that doesn't necessarily require a lot of physicality. Uh, I have a lot of several friends who are in the Navy uh, who are not big, strong people. But... Uh, but I think that your mom is the is the more interesting part of this question, and also yeah. maybe friends who are like maybe maybe not do that. It's a it's a big ask. It is a thing that it is a big commitment, and it is a a, uh, a commitment to something that you won't know if you like until you're there, and that um, that is that is what it is. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go ahead and just say. Do it, Abigail. Join the Navy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't listen to podcasters about whether or not to join the Navy. Make that decision with your mom. I um, I understand that you could enlist on your own, but I also don't know that it will negatively impact your career to have two years of community college before you enlist in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it might be good for, for your career. And then even if you end up having your whole career in the Navy... Um, you know, a 20 year career that would put you at 40 when you retire from the Navy, which isn't ah, that old. <laughs> I know it seems old to you right now, Abigail. Old. I remember being 18. It seemed like 40 was forever away. But let me tell you, it arrives before you know it. There's also separate kinds of being in the military. There's officer school, which is a very different track from uh, just enlisting. And that might be something that if you had a couple of years of community college might be an option more open to you. And that comes with a bunch of perks, perks and, and uh, options that you don't necessarily have if you just enlist. That said, Abigail, you've come to the worst possible podcast Again, to get advice yes. on a military career. Yeah, there, there are probably some out there that actually uh, have some experience, whereas John and I have l- less than none. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a couple cousins who are in the Navy. That's as close <laughs> as we get. And actually, they're both out now. So, that Yeah. No, we have, we have no experience. Today's podcast is brought to you by the United States Navy. The United States Navy, uh, not a subject of expertise for the Green Brothers. This podcast is also brought to you by limping to the end of 2017. Just, we'll get there. We can do it. And today's podcast is also brought to you by Snake Cuddles. Snake Cuddles, avoid them. <laughs> I don't know. I, if I'm not surprised by them, I'd be into it. I'd be into some snake cuddles. I just don't want to wake up and have snake cuddles be happening to me. This podcast is additionally brought to you by M&Ms and popcorn mixed together inside of my popcorn bucket and my mouth. Uh, it's the best. And maybe you'll be a little bit more careful uh, to not drop any on the floor to create the, a battlefield of, of lost, lost popcorn souls. All right, that went on longer than I think any of us expected. Uh, (laughs) This one comes from Helen, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a first-year university student, and I have two friends. I love my friends, and I feel very grateful to have gotten to know such nice and genuine people so early on in my college experience. However, I've come across a huge problem and a threat to this sense of security I have in these friendships. To my dismay, recently, both of them have separately confided in me that they have feelings for the other. Ooh. 
This is the problem. Or is it? How am I suddenly stuck in a teen rom-com where I have at once so much power of information and yet feel so powerless against the forces of my friend's love for each other? Should I tell them how the other feels? Should I see how long this takes to play out and stay out of it? Mm. Mostly I'm worried that I will lose both of them if their impending relationship either fails or I become an eternal third wheel. Should I find new friends? Dubious advice needed. Helen. All right, Helen, I got a great idea. Okay, what is it? So you're going to take your friends uh, and you're going to go on a fun little adventure. Uh, just like go someplace what that you have to drive to and then um, get the, like, I don't know, just a playground in a nearby town. Hang out there, do the things that you like to do, and then be like, oh, I got to go and drive away and leave them there. <laughs> I mean, that would have been like a kind of like a funny rom-com uh, idea in 1997 pre-Uber, but now they would just be like three minutes okay. behind you. Okay, okay, yeah. So in like a Toyota Tercel, you, you they'd just be the like, car. Oh, "I'm sorry, you, yeah, Jane, so. pick me up in the Toyota Tercel, and we're coming back. And, uh, we'll be at the dorm three minutes later." So this Here's, is even better. This is better. That, this is better for all kinds of reasons. You get the Uber and leave your car. Say, "I'm going to leave the car uh, so that you guys can come home. I'll just get an Uber home because I got a." a my, my my python is really hungry and they didn't just yeah. slash the tires of the car so they have to stay with the car but they can't leave oh yeah that's a that's a really good way to ensure that that, that your friendship doesn't get ruined by this new relationship just one of the that's tires the best it's like, idea. let's slash like just their a tires. nail just get a nail yeah. in there and it'll be like oh it's just yeah. a nail and then they have right. to like work oh, yeah, together no, absolutely to- so, resort to subterfuge yes that's a great plan no that's a terrible idea hank helen here's the thing man this is actually a really obvious situation your friends don't actually have feelings for each other they're testing you they agreed to pretend to have feelings for each other and to go to you separately to see how you would react it's a it's yeah you have to reverse prank the prank You've got to reverse prank the prank. So what you need to do is you need to go to your friend. Let's say your friends are named Joey and Bob. You need to go to Joey and you need to say, Joey, Bob told me something very, very serious. He told me that... No, back up, Hank. Let's say your friends are named Joey and Chandler. You need to go to Joey and you say... (laughs) Joey, I have the most amazing news. Chandler has feelings for you. And then you go to Chandler and you say, Chandler, I have the most amazing news. I am in love with you. (laughs) What? That way you've got a full friend situation. Right. That's a it's proper way, love triangle. Way better. Yeah, because this isn't even a love triangle. This is just It's like, not. It's This I, is a love line. It's, the, it's not even a plot, Helen. Yeah, I mean... I still so. So, what's the most romantic thing you can think of, John? What's the most romantic situation you can get in with two of your friends? You go shopping for a fish. That's very romantic. Uh, at a at a fish store, uh-huh. um, and then and then, but you only have enough money for one fish. But then you realize as you're leaving that you don't that you don't need the fish. So you give them the fish, and then they mm-hmm. have a shared fish, and it's basically like being married. Right. That's how love blossoms. Um, I have a couple problems with that strategy as well. <laughs> I, you don't like any of I, my ideas. Well, I've got okay. So let's let's take a the bold choice here. I think is for Helen to go to both Joey and Chandler and say, "You guys are uh, crushing on each other, and I think you should pursue this, but I uh, need to stay 
your friend no matter what. No, that's not good. I think that, <laughs> all right. I, I, the reason I'm sympathetic to this problem, Hank, is that I definitely had this happen to me a bunch of times in college. Mm. Um, like one time I was on a road trip with my two best friends to the Grand Canyon and we would like sleep in like $30 a night hotels. And then eventually, like I realized that they like one afternoon, I like saw them kissing at the Grand Canyon. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, that explains why like I'm in one hotel room and they're like there in the other. I see. Well. <laughs> I mean, what's the what's the actual thing you do is like you pick one of them and you say, I'm pretty sure that if you go for it, it'll work out. Right, right. Because the <laughs> next time they Joey comes to you and says, like, I really have feelings for Chandler, you can just say, listen, I'm not positive, but I suspect that if you talk to Chandler about this, Chandler's going to reciprocate. Right. If you're like, hey, we should go to the fe- to the to the fish store and then then it's a date and it's it's going, it's moving. <laughs> That's not a date. That's not a date. I you have mean, a weird. You have a weird definition of dates. You went on one of your first dates with Sarah was to Target. It was very romantic. See, and this is better because mm. there's fish. I think they have fish at Target, actually. Not at my Target. Oh, maybe, maybe it's maybe they only have fish at Walmart. Anyway, well, John, I'm not I, sure how we feel have, about aquarium I, fish. I don't want to get in trouble with the anti-aquarium fish people. They do have um, fish fingers at Target. <laughs> All right, so now we're just in trouble with the vegans. Let's answer one more question from our listeners before we get to the incredible news from AFC Wimbledon. I mean, I, oh, God. All right, I'm so excited. All right, uh, Hank, yeah. no, it's your turn to ask a question. You ask. It is. This final question, John, comes from Sarah, who asks, Dear Hank and John, when we say it's raining, what is it? Mm. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. It is. That's a that's an upsetting thought to me. I mean, it's just the experience that I am inside of, like the the bubble of reality that I sort of consider to be applicable to me at the moment. Is that it? Well, I mean, here's the thing, Hank, like what what does it mean to be like it is midnight? What is midnight time? No, it 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 is the thing that I am in. Right. It's the it's my entire conception of my world that is applicable to me. It is midnight. It Oh man. It. Yeah. I just don't think it means anything. No, I think um it does mean I think something. like it No, defi- cuz you could just it's it's just a way of saying raining. But if you just say raining, it <laughs> doesn't feel like a sentence. <laughs> raining. Yeah, you do. You do need a sit- sentence, and so you need a, a you need a thing, and you need a verb, and you need an adjective, uh, and so so you need to you need the adjective to apply to something, um, and that is it. But I think oh, that there's it actually is a thing. there seems to be a, a phrase for this. It's called a dummy pronoun. Oh, yeah, it's just a grammatical construct of English, is what I'm reading, uh, which requires that a sentence have a subject. So if you didn't need a subject for the sentence, you could just say raining. But mm. since you need a subject for the sentence of some kind, um, you have to say it is raining. And the thing that it's raining is right, just like you said, like the universe around you, like the, the your world, in your right. world, it is raining, just as in your world, it is midnight, or in your world, uh, the sun is shining. 
or this makes know, it, it is sunny. This makes me think: is there an amount of like individuality that is that is based on linguistics, like knowing that that a, like an occurrence has to be happening to a thing, and that thing is this uh, dummy pronoun it, but that it has to do with the world as I perceive it. Like, yeah. does that affect how I see the world? Oh, totally. So, Hank, you may be uh, familiar with the hot new book, Turtles All the Way Down. It's actually been number one on the New York Times bestseller list for eight consecutive weeks. Mm. It is an actual book and not a construct. Correct. It's, it is not a dummy pronoun. <laughs> it is a book. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I kind of wrote that book in the wake of this sort of extended period in which I felt that I was not a um, like a singular noun. And I, I felt like uh, all of the definitions that had been provided to me of self were completely uh, inadequate in the face of my own experience with like the relationship between like consciousness and language and the relationship between uh, what people were calling myself and the things that myself was supposed to be or be able to do. And I, I mean, my, my conclusion coming out of that period, um, which is a little bit what the book is about, but mostly just like my personal conclusion coming out of that period is that um, thought and self and like constructing self, there's no way you can really construct self separate from thought. And there's no way you can really, in my opinion anyway, in my experience, no way I can construct thought separate from language. Like I can't, I can't find a way into myself that makes mm -hmm. sense except via language. So it is raining is like a reflection to me of like the selfness of my experience mm. it there where is it it's there it's here it's all around. it's within it's it's, it's it's in me it is in me okay now it got weird hank do you want to go do you want to say the news from mars first or can i say the news from afc Wimbledon? yeah i'll give you some quick news from mars so uh right now uh as of as of when we're recording this podcast a uh, some some temperature differentials have spawned a dust storm at mars's north pole uh dust storms are a thing that happen uh fairly frequently on mars uh, but occasionally they will have there there will be these gigantic uh like sort of planet-wide dust storms that can last for a very long time, um, you know, like hundreds of days uh, on the order of. And uh, we actually haven't had those for a while, and that's very good because these dust storms blow a lot of dust around, which can get into the equipment of our rovers. It can also block out the sun, so the rovers that are powered by solar panels have a harder time functioning. Um, so it's nice that we have had a break in large dust storms, uh, but it's possible that as since, you know, it has been a while since we've had one, that another one is sort of on the way and maybe even forming right now. So there's big old dust storm, um, and uh, and hopefully uh, it, won't, it will not uh, be one that affects too much of the areas where we have our rovers. That's what's happening on Mars right now, John. I, oh, I really hope that the Martian weather stays good for our rovers. Mm -hmm. That would be... Oh, it's so hard. I mean, think about... Working for NASA in this situation, it seems to me, is that you control for all the variables you can, but the stakes are so high and you can never control for all the variables. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and like that that it's crazy that like weather is one of them because of course we are aware of of like when we plan a wedding we're like well we should probably have a place where we could do it indoors if we right. have to. Um, right. But yeah. Uh, you you cannot you, when you have like every three to four years there's a global Martian dust storm that will impact the ability to do the mission. That's you know three or four years is you know like the life of the Curiosity rover so far. So right. Um, it's nice that we have had this little dust storm drought. Yeah. No, thank goodness for dust storm droughts. Well, Hank, the news from AFC Wimbledon, I have to say, is just incredibly exciting, which is that earlier today, as we are recording this, it was announced, it's all over the English newspapers, that AFC Wimbledon have been given final permission to build their new stadium uh, at Plough Lane, returning to their historic homeland. As you know, Hank, for the last... 25 years, Wimbledon fans have been singing this song, Show Me the Way to Plough Lane. I'm tired and I want to go home. I had a football ground 20 years ago and I want one of my own. And today they got final, final approval uh, to build that stadium, to go home. Uh, and it is an incredible moment for this club. The stadium is going to seat between eleven and 20,000 people. I think 11,000 people to start, uh, but it can be expanded to hold up to 20,000 people, which would probably be enough to support a Premier League club. I'm just saying. And uh, it's it's a really wonderful moment. The construction will begin fairly soon now that... Um, now that they've been given final permission, it is a $25 million project. Uh, that's a lot of money. A lot of that money has been raised. A lot hasn't. And uh, But it, they're hoping that uh, this will be done. The new stadium will be finished in time uh, to play the 2019-2020 season uh, at Wimbledon back in Wimbledon, uh, back at their spiritual home. Uh, it's just an amazing story of what fans can do when they come together. Woo-woo! Uh, congratulations, John. That's very exciting. Um, Thank you. And, and it just seems like uh, things are going good for AFC Wimbledon right now, even even though you guys are still pretty far down at the bottom of the table. Yeah, um, I mean, for the for the like long term health of the club mm-hmm. and for the long term well being of the club, this stadium is such a big deal because it allows you know it allows the club to be to have the kind of budget that you need to be in league one or the championship um, because, you know, they won't have the smallest stadium in the football league anymore as they currently do. Uh, But yeah, it's definitely, it's going to be a difficult season. I mean, 20 games into a 46 game season and only one spot above the relegation places is definitely nerve wracking, but uh, I am hopeful. I really am. Not least because we've got that Tottenham money coming in from the third round of the FA cup. All right, John, what did we learn today on this episode of Dear Hank and John? We learned that Hank is weirdly unafraid of snake cuddling. Uh, We learned that there are 600 species of birds in California. And also we learned that the California quail is not just California's state bird, but also maybe California's next governor? And finally, we learned that Sarah eats popcorn one popcorn at a time. And also, I now just also learned that the plural of popcorn is apparently popcorn. Did oh, not know I that. didn't know that. Yeah, well, there, there you go. Oh, well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. I hope it's been a good 2017 for you. Uh, even if it hasn't necessarily been the best year in a macro sense, I hope it's been a good year for you. Um, and uh, thanks to everybody again for listening. And, you know, pretty soon I'm going to be reaching out to everybody, asking them for uh, several million dollars for this AFC Wimbledon stadium project. <laughs> 
So if you are a billionaire out there listening to Dear Hank and John, I've got a good place where your money can go without it saving any lives or curing any diseases. <laughs> All right. The podcast is produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. It's edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing right now and at the beginning of the episode and also at the beginning of This Week in Ryan's, our podcast about Ryan's that's available only to our Patreon patrons. We really thank you to our Patreon patrons. Uh, we'll put some pictures of the California quail up there. Uh, is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.